With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. For sure. 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 Welcome to another episode of For Sure, a 200-foot podcast. I'm Peter. All right, listeners, I was I was a little I was a little worried this might happen. Um I uh I I got this I got this letter uh the other day. It was weird because I don't typically get letters, you know, it's usually email or text or the occasional phone call, but I got this letter in the mail. And um so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read it to you now. So it says Dear Peter, I'm sorry. I said that I'd always be your co-host. But life changes sometimes, and I've just had to move on. No, I'm just kidding. Jay's here. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I, wow. <laughs> you know, we just, we just had a, we just had a, a glimpse into a future that I want nothing to do with. <laughs> Because not only would I not be on this show that I love to be on, I would have the unmitigated gall to dear John you about my non-presence. Wow. He sent me a John Deere letter. (laughs) Oh, man. So, yes, I'm I'm still here. But as uh, as Pete has already alluded to with his uh, wonderful open to this episode, we're going to. We're going to lead off with a very, very interesting, highly political and downright jaw dropping, interesting storyline this year, which was and is and maybe Peter could forever be one of the more petty displays in a notoriously non petty sport. Exactly. Everyone talks about how hard boiled and gritty hockey players are, but they've usually just kind of kept their business to themselves and then like kind of just let the game speak for itself. But, you know, I I tweeted this the other day, pettiness in the NHL is a lot like silent Bob. It's often mute, but when it actually says something, it's very worthwhile. So Peter, as our resident, former current non, uh, (laughs) non identifying Islander fan, um, why don't you give us a little bit of a, a background on on the on on the events that led towards just this past Thursday? Well, so this is something we talked about on this podcast for a while because going into uh, going into July first last year, there was a lot of questions about what would happen. Uh, John Tavares, who grew up as a Maple Leafs fan was um 
obviously the captain of the Islanders for some time, uh, for a long time. He was the number one draft pick for the team. Uh, many of the fans considered him uh, to be the savior of the franchise. And so he spent nine years on the team. And basically, there was a lot of questions about what was going to happen going into that period. Because obviously, since it got to July 1st, he had not signed an extension with the Islanders that he he would he would have been able to because they they were the only team that he could sign an eight-year extension with uh, or I guess you could call it an eight-year contract because it it's only an extension if you resign with your current team so there was a lot of I don't know it, it, it was up in the air about what was going to happen we talked about this on the show I I thought that he was going to be leaving the whole way up until when the Islander ownership hired uh, Lou Lamorello and Barry Trotz, because that was pretty much going to be the first real like established NHL coach and, and GM that he had had in his entire career uh, on Long Island. And at that point I thought maybe he might end up staying and Anybody who's been following the sport knows what happened. On July 1st, he signed with the Toronto Maple Leafs, and he angered an entire fan base. Now, it, it, it's funny because you you said that it was uh, it, it was a petty display that we saw, and it, 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 for me, it's kind of hard to put into words because I see I see a lot of different sides of this. As somebody who grew up in that fan base and who grew up going to uh, the Nassau Coliseum, I mean, I was I was there when he scored his first goal, which was in his first first NHL game. Um, you know, I've seen him play a lot, and I was not surprised in the least that that the reaction was going to be like this. One thing I think that people need to keep in mind is that while the the reaction to him was definitely uh, vitriolic and some might say over the top. This is something that's happened before in other markets. For example, for our listeners, uh, I was I was talking to talking to somebody because I I have a bad memory for this stuff, and I was like, did do you remember a team booing during like you know booing that much during the um you know the the tribute video to a former player and. I was told that uh, the Red Wings did it for Marion Hosa, <laughs> who only played there for a year, uh, and uh, for Fedorov. So, yep. I mean, at the time, I was I was following the Red Wings, but I wasn't as as big of a fan as I am now. I, I didn't see every game, etc. So I don't remember that. But I mean, I, I take take my friend as his word, and obviously, it sounds like you know you remember this happening too. So. I just I the more I think about it, I think part of it is that something like this happens so infrequently that it seems like it's a giant overreaction. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I think that um, I, I read a, a a cool article by uh, Lighthouse Hockey, kind of giving a a bit of their their perspective on on everything that was happening and. At the end of the day, we are still talking about different variables mean different outcomes and stuff like we are obviously in a situation where if Tavares announced himself, you know, like if he said, hey, I've spent a, 
I spent nine amazing, formative, um, life-changing years on 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 Long Island, and uh, I would I wouldn't change it for anything in the world. But uh, I'm I've I have an opportunity to go home. I have an opportunity to play for uh, the team that I grew up in and and got into this game for. And uh, it just feels like the time is right to um, fulfill a, a, a personal uh, goal of mine, which was to wear uh, a Leafs jersey. So what's weird was uh, he didn't do any of that. <laughs> and, and, and the uh, amount of times that in, and in this uh, Lighthouse Hockey, they were saying like it, they felt like there was a script being read over and over and over again. And then the script wasn't being read like overnight and then he's gone. So there's at the end of the day, the fans do have a right to be, um, you know, at least confused, frustrated, upset, because I don't really think they even got a, they didn't really get a goodbye Pete. Right. Like they didn't, they didn't really get like a, like, Hey, you know, this is, this is where it is. It all just happened like really super fast. Yeah. And, and, and there's, we obviously know that the fan, culture doesn't really do well with um you know th- that level and pace of change like obviously most of the fan base could have probably seen it coming I, I i would like to think that for the most part a lot of them did but you know there's there is a lot of it's, it's new york pete so there the the reactionary sports fan culture is baked encrusted forever a part of the of the fandom psyche of of the east coast so you know, this there's there's the whole thing about loyalty and they're calling him a snake and then and all this other stuff. I mean, I think the base thing that we should be able to say is, yes, you are allowed to be upset about this. But the discussion should be, how should you profess this frustration? And we saw we saw almost pretty much the entire spectrum <laughs> of, of of what to do and what not to do, mm. mostly what not to do. Um, you know, when, when LeBron left everybody burned the Jersey, which uh, I, I can't, Pete and I can't stress this enough. Everybody, they already have your money. <laughs> you are burning your personal property for nothing. <laughs> it's not like the second you burn that Jersey, uh, an NHL owner is going to rush to his, uh, uh, Scrooge McDuck giant vault and whip open the door and all of a sudden see that special section of his giant treasure trove suddenly on fire because you burned the jersey. The The game's already over. You bought the jersey. They already had it. The guys already spent it on either more more uh, arena amenities or more yachts. The, that you're, you're not doing anything. And, and so this particular case, Pete, I mean, it, it was all summed up with with uh, with the Dear John video that was, for some, again, for for how many times in this day and age, how many people have to like how many people had to sign off on this stuff? You know, like when you think about how something finally gets out into the pu- public sphere, right? There's supposed to be like different levels of of approval and like run this by people. Was so this just wasn't run by that many people well, I mean, it was, it it was, was made it was, by fans like i mean it wasn't like an official team thing well i mean there's 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 something to be said for like how many i mean yeah the, the in the fan sense like so if i'm the guy who's producing that you know i, I there's been a couple times where i've made some like dumb videos yeah. in 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 reaction to um 
stuff that my teams have done. I, I will raise my hand. I don't know if anybody saw this, but <laughs> it was the day after the wing streak was officially killed. I, 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 I photoshopped Ken Holland's face on, on Luke Skywalker's head as he was throwing the skull on the door mechanism that dropped the door on the Rancor. And I had the, the wing streak photoshopped <laughs> on the Rancor. I was basically visually alluding to that uh, at Ken Holland at the time I felt had done almost just as much wrong and right to, to lead to the, to the streak being done. But in retrospect, I was like, yeah, it was dumb. It was stupid. But the the difference was like, I showed it to a couple of people and like, you have some sort of peer review. And I think the problem was that fans were shown this, but it was an echo chamber. It wasn't anybody with objectivity. <laughs> so they watched it and they were like, yes, this, this reflects my feelings. And then it's out there now. So, well, I mean, um, I mean, I mean, one of the things is I think, I, I, I think I think it might be a little bit uh, misleading to to refer to the, the person making this as, quote, producing it. Um, like if you see the quality <laughs> of this video, it's not, you know, it's it, it's it, it, it's not something that was uh, uh, done at a high level, I guess you could say. Yeah, it was it was your I, I would say it's it was just a just a tick above public access, <laughs> which. Which I, 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 at the end of the day, I think looking at the actual quality of it, because first of all, I, Pete, can you imagine? Oh man, I would have loved for this video to have existed with HD video not having been at their disposal. Like you, like I, I would have loved to have seen this in like really grainy VHS quality. I think that would have been. I think that really would have hammered it home, just like to make it look absolutely grassroots. Uh, produced, created, manufactured. So, um, I mean, again, for those who haven't seen it, like you can go out and watch it, you can go out and see it. Um, I texted my co-host Peter about it and he said, it's embarrassing. I didn't even want to watch it. Um, didn't you show it to, and then you showed it to Nikki and then she was like laughing. Yeah, she, she, <laughs> she, she, she was laughing very, very hard. Um, but, 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 but again, at the, at the same time, because, because I do think the two things can be true. I do think yeah. that, my reaction that it's embarrassing. I do think that that can be a valid reaction. I also think that every fan base does does things like that. Every fan base at some point does things that are, that are like that. And, and again, you know, yeah. I mean, I like, I do think the biggest, the biggest issue here is I think people should not paint an entire fan base with, a, with the brush based on, some of its more extreme members. I think that's the biggest, yeah. I think that's the biggest takeaway out of all this because I mean, I, I, I definitely think that some of the things that happened were over the top in my opinion, but at the same time, I'm not going to, I don't know. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to look down my nose at, you know, I'm, I'm to be honest, maybe I think at first I kind of did a little bit, but uh, reflecting a little bit more, I think, that it's important to remember that fans do things like this. Um, yeah, you know? yeah, they do. And, and, and there's, there is a certain, again, going back to this lighthouse hockey thing, cause they, uh, they did bring up something and, and, and I hadn't really thought about it. And, and again, I don't know how much play it's really getting, but you know, I, I, I certainly didn't really think about this aspect of it too. Um, how much the, 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 um, you know, Canadian sports media and to a certain point, American sports media kind of played this up a lot and kind of, you know, went, 
you know, full bore on like, yeah, this was a betrayal. Oh, Tavares completely shuns the, the Islander fan base. Da, da, da. So the difference there is how you have a fan base reacting to things by themselves. And then other people, it, to say the media goaded them into this thing, I think is entirely disingenuous. I, I, I don't really think they did. But I think it's dumb to think that they didn't have some hand in it because the article does point out it's like, listen, you can't like at the end of the day, like fans are the ones who are paying the t- paying the money to to walk through the doors and watch the product, right? So, you know, giving them, you know, holding them to some ridiculous other otherworldly standard of they must always be stoked. Where it's like, listen, they're they're investing in the team and they're investing in a player, and then when they feel like that investment is being uh, altered or, or meddled with without their, their consent. Yeah. They're going to be, they're going to be pissed off in many, many different ways. Other people will see sports as this genuine free time activity that doesn't hold any bearing on the rest of their life. But other people really have sports as a major pillar about how they go about their lives and what their interests are and how they, you know, what they really invest themselves in creatively and, and, and emotionally. So I think for the, for the subset of the, of the Islanders fan base that just felt this was the opportunity to just completely trash and, and rag on him and throw jerseys at him as he's leaving the ice and, and all this other stuff. That's, that's beyond the pale. I don't think we really need to do that. You can voice it. I think you can voice it as loudly and as, and as crazily as you can. I mean, I don't know if you go as far as a dear, a dear John video with, <laughs> with with a, with a script that. Oh my gosh, Pete! I really wanted to be in the writers' room for that one. <laughs> but um, you know, I think you there, there's we are in a. You can there, there are two ways that this that this could be said. It's like yeah, fans. You know, yeah, they are allowed to be pissed, but like, how how should you? really process that frustration how should you press that process that anger and then and then on the the flip side too it's like like the 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 lighthouse article was saying you know especially they they didn't mention darren drager and i guess he was like you know who cares who cares it's like okay so now the guys are yelling at the people that are responsible for like giving you content (laughs) so it's so it's like this weird backhanded thing where it's like oh man Oh, these guys are, are are so crazy. Oh, they should never do this. And it's like, really? Well, then you wouldn't have anything to talk about. So, like, maybe we could just hope that there's just a middle ground where they can be creative in their in 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 their frustration, and then that's what you get to talk about, rather than hoping that something, you know, I just like, like you said, looking down on them is not something anybody has the right to do. There's everybody's everybody's done this. Everybody's been there. I don't think anybody in in the hockey in hockey media has never not been over emotional or overreactive to something because they care about it so much. I mean, yeah, like we talked about last time about the the, the Don Cherry stuff reaction to the storm search. It's like he's obviously married to an ideal of what the game used to be. And then that ideal is being trampled on. So he's overreacting to the point of calling grown people bunch of bunch of jerks which carolina is just yeah i don't know i it's it's it is glorious what carolina has been able to do in the face of this of this type of adversity but yeah i mean i i, yeah. I think i think carolina has definitely uh definitely made the most lemonade uh recently out of out of lemons yeah. that were cast uh you know dumped on them um 
Yeah. But yeah. Before we close this out, before we close this little segment, out, I wanted to um, share on Twitter. Uh, Namita had a wonderful uh, tweet, and by the way, she's NN Stats. If you if you don't follow her, um, she's a hockey fan. But then she went uh, t- she went to go work for the Philadelphia Eagles, um, and so her tweet was: I just really don't think Leafs fans should aspire to get into a whose fan base is more embarrassing battle tonight or any night for that matter, <laughs> because yeah, Maple Leafs fans have kind of done this many times and forever pretty much not even just like equal ways but i think probably more excessive ways so um i i i think at the end of the day i think the lesson that i think i finally have taken from this is be careful be careful what you kind of make fun of because you never know when it's going to be your team's turn yeah yeah, that's very true. And at the end of the day, I still want a seven-game series between those teams. Yeah, <laughs> yeah because I mean, I, yeah. yeah, actually, like the the one thing that came out of it is that the game was highly entertaining. I mean that that game was a lot of fun to watch, and the atmosphere was just like ridiculously entertaining. It was it was a very fun uh, crowd environment. It like even taking away all of the chanting, etc. Like the crowd was super into it. Um, so I think any playoff series at the Coliseum is going to be pretty amazing. Yeah. And at the end of the day, Pete, there's the, the other thing that Islanders fans can take solace in is even though they are still crippled by the whole Tavares thing, look at how good the team is, right? Like, like that's, I would, I would cringe at what that fan base would be like right now if they were in like tatters <laughs> and then all of a sudden here comes Johnny T visiting the Coliseum for the first time since his departure. So yeah, like the, the sunny side here folks is like, yes, Tavares left, but look, you're doing it. You're doing the thing you're doing. What you're doing well. Right. Like, and, and like the best way that you can, you know, if we're talking about what sort of cathartic event could happen to, to maybe help the Islander fan base heal a little bit. Yeah. Beat the Leafs in a seven-game series. <laughs> that should that should be all you need to 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 move on from this. So, or Tavares and the Leafs sweep them in the first round, and Long Island sinks into Dante's <laughs> All right. So on that note, um, we have a fantastic interview for you. <laughs> one one that we are very glad to bring you after. Uh, again, the wilds of Canada is always a great excuse to to not. Uh, to to not be able to get a hold of yeah. somebody and 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 Dan and our, our guest today Dan Carcel is he's he's a busy guy but I will never begrudge anybody for for not being able to get into cell service anywhere Canada is a beautiful place I would not <laughs> wherever you are wherever you're traveling Pete and I are never going to get on you for not being able to to get into a great spot because <laughs> I mean this is but as you were saying Pete we are excited to finally bring this to you. It's only a week delayed-ish, but I'm excited. You're yeah, excited. I'm excited. I uh, I just finished editing it a little while ago, so it's uh, I can I can say with with uh, say with certainty that it is a fantastic interview, and I'm excited for you to hear it. And here it is.
Our guest for this episode is Daniel Carcillo, who played 11 NHL seasons for a total of five teams. He's best known for his time with the Philadelphia Flyers and the Chicago Blackhawks, winning two Stanley Cups with Chicago in 2013 and 2015. Today, he's known for his work through his organization, Chapter 5 Foundation, whose mission is to help athletes discover their new purpose and transition into life after the game. He's an advocate for athletes to be provided with proper information about the danger of and treatments for head injuries, among other topics. Uh, So, Daniel, uh, thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us tonight. Of course. Thank you guys for having me on. Absolutely. Um, All right. So I've, you know, like I said, before we started, I've read a lot about your story. And as we go on, we're definitely going to talk about some of some of the specifics. But for some of our listeners who don't know how you went from someone, you know, who played the game to where you are today in your advocacy. uh, Can you start, you know, uh, by you talking a little bit about that journey for you? Um, Yeah. So in Canada, when you grow up there, hockey's religion and Pretty much if you're not playing hockey at three or four years old, then you're not fitting in at school and, and you're not, um, you know, you're not fitting in in the community, really. And I grew up in a small town and <clears throat> it was about 7,000 to 8,000 people in King City, Ontario, and uh, everything revolved around the rink. And, um, you know, that's where we all came together and um, that's where we started to play hockey and uh, parents all knew each other and we never locked our doors in that town and um so hockey for me from a very early age was was um was great because it was really good um anger management and i was always i always kind of felt a little bit uncomfortable in this world and even from a young age um and then when i found hockey it my life changed and um i could bring all of those all of that confusion and frustration to the rink and um you know, so I put everything into it, and I really I used hockey not so much as like a study, but as an outlet that I needed. And um, so uh, I worked really, really hard at it. And my parents instilled certain morals in me as far as work ethic and discipline, and uh, tried to bring that not only to hockey but like to my schoolwork and, and everything I do. And it's no different than bringing that to uh, advoc- my advocacy work now. And um, you know, you move through life, and things happen. Um, you learn things and you continue to move through life. And, and as far as like, you know, my NHL career was, I've had some really, really amazing times. I say the good times definitely outweigh the bad times. Um, but I've also had seven diagnosed concussions. And for example, my laundry list of injuries when I left the game were two horizontal tears in my ankles, arthritis in both ankles, no PCL in my right knee. My MCL done three times in my right knee, arthritis in my right knee, ACL reconstructive surgery on my left knee, my MCL done four times on that knee, Uh, reconstructive um, hip surgery on my left labrum. Uh, I've had my abdomen stapled back from my pelvis, arthritis in both hips, Uh, no labrum in my left shoulder, Um, three inches of arthritis in in two discs in my neck, Uh, numerous neck tears, and and like I said before, seven diagnosed concussions and also lost three teeth and broke my nose three or four times. So I say that to, um, not to like gloat or anything, but I was really, to be honest, prepared to deal with the dentist appointments and to deal with, um, the arthritis and keep my body in motion. And I was fully prepared to do that because, you know, you don't get out of the game unscathed, but, um, what I wasn't prepared for was the seven diagnosed concussions and, and the, uh, mental health complications that ended up coming, 
um, from those concussions and, you know, my suicidal ideation um, about two and a half years into retirement was just getting really, really overwhelming. And that's what scared me into treatment. And uh, I was losing my quality of life as far as um, not being able to go out and play with my boy if I didn't have sunglasses and uh, slurred speech. So it was really difficult to problem solve. Um, you know, I had, uh, had tried two businesses and failed uh, kind of at both. And I just wasn't able to be around kids and loud noises. And I tried my best, but, um, you know, things became really, life became really difficult. And I, I always say this in my advocacy work that, um, you know, somebody won't seek out help. It's like talking to an addict um, when you're talking to somebody who's suffering from post-concussive syndrome because it's really difficult to face that and to get sober enough to be able to assess the state of your brain and then move forward, especially if you have a young family like, like I did at the time. And um, But eventually your quality of life deteriorates to a point that you can't live anymore unless you get treatment. And that's um, that's what happened with me. And luckily I I knew about functional neurology because my friend Steve Monitor ended up passing away at 35 years old, um, who I played with on the Blackhawks. <clears throat> he introduced me to the care clinic in 2013, and it actually extended my career because I was thinking about retiring after that year, and um, it extended my year, and I ended up, I was lucky enough to win, you know, my two Stanley Cups after that treatment, and um, so, um, you know, I knew where to go, and I ended up getting off my butt in April, last April, and, and going, and, and it saved my life, and, and now, you know, I was identified right frontal lobe. It's cool, buddy. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, that's I was, fine. I was, <laughs> I, I was identified uh, right frontal lobe and uh, lower right cortex injured, and a lot of those two places, um, you house your problem solving and personality and uh, things, things like that, so um, they were able to actually turn those areas of my brain back on by identifying the areas. Um, and then we built new neurological pathways around my dead neurons because you can't make dead neurons alive again and ended up, um, fixing my chemical imbalance through checking things like my vestibular system, cognitive system, autonomic system, ocular system, affect system. Um, and through that diagnostic process, um, they also did some other things that they saw and, and they made me a personalized program accordingly um, not to treat per se the condition in a person but to treat the person with the condition that they found and um, it was really remarkable you know and so now like I don't work with them per se but I definitely advocate for people to go there you know I don't take any funding they don't donate to my charity like I'm really big on staying independent right now um, and, and just giving away this information for free, even though it wasn't freely given to me, I, I really believe that it needs to be freely given away, you know, and, um, and yeah, so that's just kind of a, a little bit of an overview. And yeah, so just real quick, um, so, so when you said the, uh, the organization, you're talking about the Carrick Institute, correct? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Cool. Well, the Carrick Institute is, is Ted Carrick. So Ted Carrick, I always, I call him the godfather on social media and, um, he actually coined the phrase functional neurology. Okay. And, um, you know, one of the reasons that I know he's like really, really good and doesn't have any biases as far as relationships, like a lot of other doctors with collision sports is because if you ask any other doctors, they just, they hate on him, you know? <laughs> and, um, that, like, that's how I know that he's, he's one of the good guys, you know? <laughs> so, um, 
Yeah, so the Carrick Institute trains these doctors, and then more specifically, I went to the Plasticity Brain Center oh, okay. uh, with Matt Antonucci, who ends up, who happens to be uh, married to the Godfather's um, daughter, and he is uh, heading up the Plasticity Brain Center in Orlando, Florida, which is by far the most advanced, cutting-edge uh, facility in North America. And it's not, I, I advocate a lot for it, but it's not specific to concussion TBI. That's only 3% of the population in America. Um, who they treat and, and what they treat are neurological uh, diseases, you know, like stroke victims, kids who end up drowning, losing oxygen to their brain, um, you know, things like ALS. Um, so, like, just a whole host of of diseases that they, they basically, like I said before, they, they, in a nutshell, they give people their quality of life back. You know, and whether that's, you know, uh, a kid going from 300 seizures to, you know, 280 a week um, or somebody like me identifying the parts of my brain and so that I can problem solve and I can have my personality and I don't have impulse control issues and, and light sensitivity and slurred speech. So um, they do really, really amazing work and people come from all over the world to learn from them. And um, I spoke last year at... Uh, at the ISCN um, in uh, in Orlando, and I'm going to do it again. It's May 24th to the 26th, and uh, that's just a meeting of all you know the cutting edge um, functional neurologists who come to learn from from Ted Carrick, and he's um, you know him and Matt have saved my life. Ted, the first time in 2013, because I had two more concussions after that, and uh, I really believe I wouldn't be here if I didn't if Steve didn't kind of force me into that treatment mm. and, um, and then Matt more recently in April. So cool. Yeah. So, so Dan was, um, in light of everything that you've been, you've been going around and, and, and speaking about, do you have, where have you seen the most change happen so far? I know I realize all change and all, and all, you know, improvement in the system is going to be incremental, but you know, where 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 are the areas that you're seeing the the, the work actually starting to have a, a a better effect on how guys are informed with, you know, with where they are now, and then also where they will be when they're when they're done playing. Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, right now, like, I'm getting a lot of really good response from players that are currently in the league, and I don't highlight it because, again, I I'm not here to boast about you know kind of like who's following me and that sort of thing and these guys um it's really hard to ask for help you know and to get information because you trust a league that's worth four point i think eight billion dollars now to take care of you you know and so um i don't want to get these guys in trouble but um i do try to give them as much information as i can and then if they need to take it a step further i set them up with certain clinics uh, in their state and I think that's one of the biggest things in the last two months that I've seen is a lot more guys following me now on Twitter and um, and communicating with me and through DM and um, I think my biggest asset right now is again I'm independent and it's just me you know I'm not um, I'm not working for anybody <laughs> you know and uh, I have zero relationships and Relationships are a really big deal with what I've come to learn that um, 
40, there's 40 doctors who make consensus statements for our return to play protocol, not only for pro athletes, but for children around the world. They're on an international consensus group. Um, 75% of those doctors have affiliations or relationships with collision sports. And that's really scary to me. And um, that's kind of my next, I've always been saying this, it's a five-year attack. I'm almost done with year one. Hmm. And then my next, um, my next, uh, <clears throat> what I'm moving into next is, is addressing these, uh, the 75% of these doctors. And I'm just going to objectively put, you know, highlight their relationships. Um, I'm not trying to defame them, but I think relationships again are really, really important because they bias your treatment and, um, your research. Hmm. And that's one of the biggest reasons why, you know, doctors are told you can't treat your family members. Sure. You know, so, um, so yeah, so that's, uh, that's a really big deal to me, you know? Um, and, and then I think once parents realize, you know, who's making these statements and, um, I think what they're going to be searching for is somewhere else, right. To get their information from. Yeah. And, um, and I'll just be standing here on an Island ready to give it to them. You know? <laughs> There you go. Yeah, you'll be like, I have, I have the wisdom you seek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. Um, literally, it's as easy as just before this phone call. You know, somebody mm. said, "Oh, my husband's still passing out from post-concussive mm. syndrome," and I said, "Okay, it's as simple as saying, what state are you in?" Yeah. And then I referenced my notes, and uh, Doctor Carrick has told me, you know, if people aren't willing to travel, the first place that I recommend is is the Placidity Brain Center in Florida. Mm. Some people don't have the means or they mm. can't travel. So then I recommend the next best thing, which is a Carrick Institute trained functional neurologist in their state. Yeah, I think I, I think I remember seeing that on, uh, I figure it was yesterday or, or maybe even today. I think it was like uh, like, like somebody tweeted to K- Craig Custins and he tweeted to <clears> you <throat> and, and you were able to get in touch with the person who had the question. So I thought that was, that was mm-hmm. really, really cool. Yeah, so today, uh, well, we're recording this on Wednesday. It's going to go up on Monday. Um, but today there was mm-hmm. an article published by Mark Lazarus uh, in The Athletic that I saw, you know, you tweeted and said really nice things about. I thought it was a fantastic read. I mean, some of it was, was hard to read, uh, you know, as somebody with empathy. But um, mm-hmm. so one of the things you <laughs> – one, yeah, of, the th- yeah. <laughs> one yeah, of the things – Yeah, nailed that one. <laughs> well, yeah. You oh, know, you're one of those – oh, you guys are one of those guys with empathy? Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so – one of the things that you talked about in there that I really connected with was how the uh, when the, the the emails were released from the the, in, the internal NHL emails were released that that was like a tipping point for you because it was kind of the same for me. Um, you know, Jay and I have been doing this podcast for for almost about two years now, and since we started, I mean, if, almost right from the beginning, we've been talking about you know things like you know suspensions not being long enough and not you know, not, not seeming like they care enough. And when those emails came out, I remember just being like, I, I w- I didn't realize it was this bad. So obviously, <laughs> obviously you're, you know, you're, I mean, you're pushing for changes outside just the NHL, but in terms of changes in the NHL, do you think, you know, cause we still have, you know, Bettman and I mean, I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but it, you know, People are speculating that, you know, Daly could be next in line. And obviously he was one of the worst people, if I remember correctly, on, uh, uh, you know, on the emails. So do you think that with the, the people we have in charge or the group of 
people, like if it continues in the same mold, that we can really see changes? Or do you think it's going to take something like NHL Commissioner Ken Dryden? Um, <clears throat> I think we're going to have to wait and see. I think what you're seeing right now is a lack of change because if they do change, then they're admitting uh, that's an admission of guilt to the litigation that they're currently under. Sure, yeah. Um, so we got to wait. Number one is uh, March 20th. Um, <clears throat> so that's when the NHL makes a decision if they want to accept the percentage of enrollment uh, of the 318 guys who are suing them. Um, and if they do, then, you know, then we still have an opportunity to educate and create awareness um, because then Steve Monitor's case will go to trial. And I'm a critical witness in that case. And then my case will go to trial. And then Derek Bugart's family's case will go to trial. And then Nick Boynton's case will go to trial. Um, so they're still going to be embroiled in um, litigation for the next, you know, two to five years, essentially. So I don't see any major changes happening in the next two to five years, Um you know, you asked specifically about Bill Daly. Well, um, listen, like my mission is I don't actually expect these guys to listen to me, right? I'm just using them as a platform to get to the veteran community, police officers, firefighters, hmm. uh, women of domestic violence, um, child abuse victims, first responders, um, divers, hmm. people that uh, ride in PBR, um, UFC fighters, you know, to the bigger community, right? Sure. Um, and and so, <clears throat> I would like to see change in hockey. Do I do I do I know when that's going to come or if it's going to come? I'm not sure. But there's also things that you know these organizations can do, and then take it a step further. These players can do. I've sent over, you know, I think over now like 50 players to certain Carrick Institute trained clinics um in the summer because essentially once your contract's done you can do whatever you want you're not under the care of the nhl anymore hmm. uh and that contract ends every year we stop getting paid if you're done in the playoffs it's around you know april 7th and so a lot of these guys are going out and seeking treatment on their own and um i think that's you know something to be said and it's important and will they bring on neurologists i don't know do i do I care? Not really. Mm. You know, um, uh, it's, it's not up to me to put my energy into, into that. It's, um, I'm really just using them, you know, mm. and, and using their platform to get to millions and millions of people. And <clears throat> do I hope they change? Sure. Of course. You know, I have friends in the league, but again, I have their numbers, right. And I'm talking to them uh, on a weekly daily basis, some of them. So, um, you know, I, Ken would be a great, a great addition. Um, do I think that they're going to do that? Abs you know, in, in my heart of hearts, absolutely not, mm. you know, and, um, if, if Gary passes the torch then to Bill, then, I mean, you're getting the same guy, right? right. Gary groomed them. And, um, so it's, it's, it's incumbent, I think, on the owners, right? It's what the owners want. Do they want to continue to make money and, and use NHL teams and entities as creative tax write-offs, which is what they do? Then 
Yeah, like, I mean, I think I, I know the answer to that. They're going to continue to do that. Um, is it going to hurt their product if they continue to um, put player safety at the very bottom of, of their priorities? Yes. You know, you're going to have guys like Rick Nash retiring. You're going to have guys um, with post-concussive syndrome with um, a lot of head injuries and head trauma retiring early. Hmm. You know, and I always say, I, I say this, it, the, what I talk about works on three different levels, right? So if you provide proper understanding, diagnosis, and care, the human being, number one, is what we should be most concerned about, um, will not be more susceptible to uh, head trauma. Um, they'll be less susceptible because we've fixed their chemical imbalance while they're in their career. And then, you know, take it a step further. When they retire, they're not retiring with these mental health complications that they're not predisposed to and don't understand. Um, number two, they, fans will win because they get to see an optimized athlete. Um, their, their superstars will be able to play for longer and not have to be forced into retirement. Their hand-eye coordination, processing speed, things like that will be optimized. Uh, and then number three, the owners and the GMs win because there's less man games lost. So everybody would win um, if they adopted this type of system, what I talk about. Um, are they going to? Again, you know, they're going to have to get through this litigation. If that makes sense, you know. Yeah, it's, no, it's a, yeah. <laughs> you know, they're just, yeah, they're just not going to, um, they can't, you know, mm -hmm. they can't. They're too far into this, right? Like, they are the last professional league like behind soccer and racing and the NFL and rugby and they are the last to admit a link between repetitive head trauma and CTE, but I rarely even use that term anymore because what we do know is that repetitive head trauma causes brain injury and brain damage. And we've known that since 1933. Yeah. You know, that's been published in the NCAA handbook since 1933. <laughs> so if they just take that line, but they want to keep using that term and you know, a lot of them are right. Like, it's it's really hard to prove causation. Well, it's, it's impossible, right? Yeah. So they use this lawyer talk. We're not going to be able to take a, a kid and hit him on the head, you know, from the age of, you know, seven, eight, um, all the way until he's, you know, a grown man, and then kill him or her, hmm. and then cut out their brain <laughs> to, to prove causation. I mean, it's just not going to happen, right? Yeah. So it's all up to them. Um, on what kind of stance they want to take. And right now, they've taken the stance to, instead of um, investing millions of dollars that they're using to fight in litigation and to fight in the media and to create these narratives through their doctors that it's not that bad, they're spending the money on that rather than admitting it, mm -hmm. apologizing, and then moving forward into providing the proper understanding, diagnosis, and care, you know, where they were they should be spending the money. So, uh, first of all, Dan, that's, that's all that I, again, for, I've, I've read your stuff and, and just kind of reading about what's being highlighted, you know, nationally and then also locally through like different outlets and stuff. I, again, all this information is completely phenomenal and, and giving me a better uh, perspective on, on just what's going on here. I, I know for a while there, I've always wondered, you know, I, I, I kind of back when uh, miracle was released, um, which again, I, I, I'm Peter. I'm surprised we don't talk about that movie enough on our show here. But um, <laughs> I, re I remember watching it the first time in the theater, and and so you know, Herb is in the 
is in the tunnel and he and you know they, they beat Russia and then the the end of the movie happens and these guys are all all wearing the gold medals but then they're doing like the whole photo montage at the end and it's all of them it's like right Jimmy Craig but it's like for some reason in the back of my head I thought all these guys went on to play pro I mean some of them did but not all of them did so to see all these guys go from playing this game and then it's like realtor accountant <laughs> business guy it it's it's like it got me wondering like oh crap like they obviously can't do this forever so so all the stuff that you've been in talking about about you know not just for not just career wise but also health wise when you're done playing it's 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 a it's a sobering perspective where you're like yeah what like what do you you want to be able to at least have as much of a quality of life after you're done putting your body through the rigors of competitive sport you know regardless of which one it is but you also want to have as much information before you subject yourself to that and i think you're doing again i think you're striking gold with saying like listen there's not enough information out there because you want to be able to be informed you want to be able to have all the tools at your disposal so then that way you can make the right decision you don't want to get hijacked towards the end by something you had not only no idea about but you could have known about way earlier so then you would have been able to to have a better idea. So on, on that front, I just want to commend you for, for speaking up and, and, and being, um, being a voice for, for this. Again, I, I don't need any more proof. Pete, I don't know if you need, <laughs> you don't need, I don't think you need any more proof. And, and I certainly am not well, sure I mean, anybody else needs it. So. No, well, wait, you know, just, um, you know, to that point, like, um, just, you know, sit back and watch the next year and what I do, uh, as far as, giving everybody the information that's already out there, right, that has actually been suppressed by the NFL and the NHL. Hmm. So, um, you know, there's studies from 1933 on brain damage and brain injury. Um, since 1933, all the way up to 1989, there's a lot of studies done, a lot of research, and then there's nothing from 1989 to 2003. And that's the hmm. height of popularity for the NFL. Yeah. And the NHL. Yeah. So, like, what you're going to come to realize is, like, wow, you know, these guys uh, act actively um, pressured doctors into not researching, you know, and then take it a step further, you know, they um, suppress the actual research that's out there and then take it a step further, they created new narratives. Right? They created this causation narrative, and they're running with this CTE hysteria narrative where we know that brain injuries cause brain damage, and that's all we need to know. You know, We don't need to link it to CTE. We know that brain injuries cause brain damage and that repetitive hits to the head over time cause um, you know, cognitive dysfunction and in many, many, many cases, neurological degenerative disease not just CTE, you know, so um, it's going to be really eye-opening and it's going to be really interesting to see how parents and pro athletes, you know, take this information that's about to come, come forth, um, you know, through my YouTube channel and again, through this daily, through the daily education, through social, you know, it's an amazing tool if you know how to use it, you know, so, um, and, and, you know, I want to get to the mom's, you know, I want to get to these mothers because mothers carry children for nine months and they have a different relationship with them and it's a different kind of love. And if you piss off a mama bear, you better look out, 
you oh, know, yeah. and moms yeah. will, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they will protect their kids. And that's why I think women need to be involved more in sports on an executive level. Yeah, you know? yeah um, absolutely. Yeah. I think that would make sense, you know, because that's when I think you'll, you'll start to see a shift in protecting human beings, you know, and there's, there's a lot of things that we could do as far as, you know, there's different ideas out there, right. To better protect mm-hmm. and make rule changes. And why haven't the rinks been made bigger in, in hockey? Yeah. You know, guys are, guys are faster. Equipment's lighter. Mm-hmm. Um, why haven't the, the goalie masks ever been tested thoroughly? or changed, you know, hmm. um, the sticks are tested every year and the and <laughs> shots get faster, yeah, right? exactly. but equipment, <laughs> equipment is staying the same, you know? So, um, you know, I have an idea for hockey. Um, why not keep like four guys in the room ready to go? And if somebody gets injured or a concussion spot or, you know, see something there's, they shouldn't be running in the tunnel and giving a guy a test in 10 minutes on an impact application that we all know can be gamed Mm. and cheated and then rushing them back into the game. No, when they get pulled, just pull them. And you have four guys in the room that are ready, that are warming up and in between periods and intermission that can be plugged in, you know, instead of, instead of carrying 23 or 25 guys, why don't we carry Mm. 30? Yeah. Right. Like there's, there's a bunch of things that they can do, but that's going to take money out of their pockets. So it's just a matter of, if they're willing to put human beings first and if before yeah. profit. So um, I wanted to ask one, one last question and we'll let you go. Um, and, you know, in addition to the question I asked, if there's anything else that you wanted to, to share that, that you didn't, you know, we didn't ask about, then, you know, feel free to, to do that. So the last question I have is, uh, and, and I wanted to, you know, as you were talking, um, I realized that obviously, you know, we are, you know, an NHL podcast. So, you know, we obviously care a lot about hockey, but at the same time, you know, one of your biggest parts of your message from the way I understand it, like you said a little bit earlier is, you know, it's not just hockey players, it's other athletes and it's veterans and police officers, et cetera. So I think I can kind of, I think I can broaden this out to kind of incorporate them as well. So, you know, I grew up, I'm, I'm almost 40. So I grew up watching, you know, when the game was way more physical than it is now, obviously now there's a lot of dangerous hits but you know obviously it was you know it was a lot more physical just normally um and so that's what I grew up Mm -hmm. watching right so now if I see like a big open ice hit or a fight or something like instinctually there's like a part of me that is just like rah you know like adrenaline pumping and I just like I'm like oh man you know this is awesome but then knowing what I know now I take a step back and I'm like wait a second you know, that guy does not look good. You know, it looks like he can't focus on what's in front of his face. You know, that's that, you know, and so obviously there's a part of it where it's like, I feel bad for liking that instinctually. So obviously this is like hockey culture, but then I was thinking it's also, you know, for veterans, you know, there's also this culture of you don't, you know, you kind of hold things inside, you know, and that's why we have a lot of problems with, with veterans not getting the help they need, you know, high, highest suicide rate ever, you know, for combat veterans in the current wars, uh, obviously also police officers and, and other people that have this happen to them. So like how big of an ops, like how big of an obstacle do you think it is to like change the culture that we've kind of grown up with? Cause like, it seems like that's like a really big obstacle is trying to overcome that culture that we kind of have instinctually. 
Um, I think just more people speaking out. You know, the sad thing right now is that um, everybody only wants to listen to athletes or former players. And so I think the more former players and athletes that come together and speak out and uh, speak out honestly about, um, you know, signs and symptoms and then diagnosis and care that's helped them. Because the reality is when I talk about functional neurology, well, there's a lot of other treatments that can help. And sometimes functional neurology doesn't help somebody. So they have to, you have to provide all of these different types of alternative treatments to continue to provide hope or else then you, you see what we see in the veteran community and the firefighter community um with the highest suicide rates um you know in the nation to date and um you know it's it's just really important that we we try everything you know and so like i have a ton of of tools in my in my kit you know as far as reflexology and acupuncture moxa acupuncture uh cranial sacral um you know checking your hormones pituitary gland um making sure that everything's, you know, regulated because that's one of the things, your thyroid, uh, that's one of the things that can shut down uh, after repetitive mm. head trauma. And, um, you know, a lot of veterans, I just sent a blood kit to Mark Gordon, who I heard on a Joe Rogan podcast, and it blew my world up because I didn't even think to mm. check my hormones, you know. So I just recently did that on um, okay on Monday. So, um, you know, there's just, there's a, there's a lot of information. There's a lot of different types of treatments and suicide is a means to an end. It's mm. not a selfish act. It's, it's an act that a lot of people turn to because they have yeah. no more hope. And if we can, you know, highlight these, these people that are doing really good work, um, then, you know, we can continue to provide hope. We can continue to speak honestly and vulnerably than, um, you know, I think we're going to be in a lot better shape and, uh, and there won't be that stigma attached. And, um, you know, that's my life's work now, you know, neurodegenerative diseases run in my family. You know, my grandmother passed from Alzheimer's or three siblings, the same. And, um, I'm going to get a genetic makeup too, to see if mm. I'm predisposed to that, you know? And, um, yeah. So like I said, just keep moving forward. Um, we got to just, uh, for me specifically, I just try to get my proper rest and, uh, and, you know, wake up, be in the moment with my kids, um, get them off to school, cook them breakfast, get online, you know, hit it a little bit, um, you know, <laughs> hang out with my two daughters who, who, um, are only in school, you know, well, my middle daughter is only in school, uh, twice a week. So, um, and then I, you know, I'm going to go back and, and hit it again and then bounce out. And, um, you know, I, I saw a quote, you can't pour from an empty cup. Oh, yeah. So absolutely. the number one, yeah, the number one thing is just making sure you're healthy, you know, and so that you provide this, this type of information for people because it is heavy, you know, talking about it every day. So you just got to make sure that you're in, you're in the best frame of mind to, to be able to do that. So, um, yeah, I think mm -hmm. that's. You know that's um, that's my life's mission now. So um, I move forward with with hope. You know, absolutely, yeah. And um, you know, obviously, it goes without saying. I think from what we've already said, but you know, Jay and I definitely are are, are rooting for you. We want to support you any way we can. Um, I know in that La Mark Lazarus article today, you know, you know, one of the things that was especially hard to read was about 
you know, the things that you've lost from, from what you're doing. And I mean, I can tell you just from, from my experience of, you know, being online in the hockey community, that there are a lot of people that I know that are really supportive of what you're doing and are, uh, you know, really, uh, I don't know if happy is the right word, but, you know, you know, really supportive of, of the, uh, the advocacy that you're doing and, you know, want to help as well. So, you know, I hope that's, I hope that means something. I hope that's helpful uh, to hear. Um, and so, yeah, so our guest tonight was uh, Daniel Carcillo. You can follow him on Twitter at carbombboom13 uh, and definitely follow because there's a lot of stuff like every day you're putting up new articles and, and videos, etc. cetera. Uh, so for our listeners who want to keep following or want to learn more, definitely give that a follow and you'll find that. So Daniel, thank you so much. This was, this was really excellent. I'm really glad we were able to do this. Yeah, me too. Thank you guys for having me and uh, for supporting uh, the work that I'm doing and, and for providing a platform to hopefully reach, reach more people. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Dan, I just want to say, and it's taken me a long time to get here, but you know, I think I'm okay with you beating the the wings in seven from thirteen now. I think I'm at a, I think I'm at a place where I can just I can just let that be, you know. And mm. you're... It feels good to say that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, man, just let it out. You know, There's nothing than uh, than an untold story. So. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. Yeah, having having gone to that entire series in person, I just I just. That's it. Always sticks in my mind, and I I, I will say, and this will probably, I, I, Peter. I know I've angered our our listeners a, a couple of times, but now that I'm now that we're here, I just want to say, Dan, I was born in Chicago. I I moved to Detroit in '97, so I I was through the Chelios and Ronick years and stuff. So you guys winning, yeah, it wasn't that bad in the first place. So, congrats, <laughs> so congratulations. I'm sorry it had to come against us, but hey, at the end of the day. I would rather have the team that beats us go on to win it all rather than just beat us and then lose to somebody else. So you did, you did great, bud. You did great. Oh, appreciate it, man. Appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I appreciate fans like you. You know, like you're you're storied, and and you you guys have dated yourself a little bit in this podcast. But uh, yeah, it's 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 cool to be able to talk to people like you that have an open mind. You know what I mean? That um, that realize. I'm not here to ruin hockey and I, I do want kids <laughs> to play sports. You know, it's not about yeah. not playing sports. It's just about providing people with the right information to make educated decisions on whether or not they want to continue after a lot of concussions or repetitive head trauma. And then, and then also knowing that there's care out there and there's hope, you know, for you to be able to continue to play. Um, but yeah. you just, you need to get the right treatment, you know? So Perfect. Well, again, thank you. I'm glad we did this, and and we'll we'll, we'll like, like you already said it. The next year, our eyes will be glued to whatever's going on. We're very we're very yeah. curious to see what happens next. Sounds good. Yeah, I'll come back on and give you guys an update in another six months because, like you mentioned, that everything changes every day. You know, there's new yep. studies, and as long as you know where to look um, and who to get your information from, then you can grow every single day, every single hour. You know, so absolutely. Yeah. All right. Awesome. So, yeah. So thanks again. You know, enjoy, enjoy the rest of your evening with your family and, uh, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Cool. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll be in touch. Thanks guys. Once again, we thank Dan for stopping by our lovely program. Um, and uh, that's, that's my Jay on right. Dan O'Toole tribute right there. Program. 
Um, so, uh, February 25th has come and gone. We are recording this basically a week later, and this will episode will air basically one exact week after the deadline. Moves were made. Moves weren't. Um, this is a, uh, again, Pete, I'm, I know this is a selfish thing to say, but I really wish the league would just get off its high horse and just trade superstars every single deadline and just make it just this gong show. I mean, I think it was a decent deadline. I wasn't really all that shocked. We saw teams load up and, and, and other teams stand pat and, um, I don't know. What, what what are your thoughts uh, immediately after? Well, maybe not immediately after, because again, five, five, five days have already transpired. But what are, what are your thoughts on this deadline? Who do you, who, who would you consider? A, there's there a clear cut winner, loser, somebody who should have been traded away and just stayed. Well, I think <laughs> I think maybe the most interesting thing is going to be. It is going to be so funny when Columbus loses in the first round of the playoffs because <laughs> and, and and here's the thing like he, he, this is a very interesting uh kind of topic for me because I admire what they did. They said basically this is our window. We are going to most likely be losing Panarin and Bobrovsky in the off season. That, that that's that's what it seems like. And this is like our window is this year right now. So let us go for it. And that's pretty much what they're doing. They uh, ended up winning the uh, the Matt Duchesne uh, sweepstakes. Um, they, they acquired Matt Duchesne and Julius Bergman from Ottawa for Vitaly Abramoff, Jonathan Davidson, uh, who is not, by the way, the former... Uh, New York Rangers broadcaster and uh, very exec- easy to get yeah, confused, NHL executive, um, a first round pick in 2019 and a conditional first round pick in 2020, but they weren't done. So that happened on February 22nd, uh, a couple days before the deadline. Then they also traded Anthony Duclair, a second round pick in 2020 and a second round pick in 2021 for Ryan Dezingle. Uh, so they acquired two of the three players that Ottawa was really interested in trading. But then they also went shopping uh, in New Jersey and they got Keith Kincaid, uh, a backup goalie, basically, for a fifth round pick. And then they got Adam McQuaid from the New York Rangers in exchange for a fourth round pick and a seventh round pick. Uh, oh, and they also uh, acquired Alex Broadhurst. Uh, I'm sorry. Wait, actually, they they traded Alex Broadhurst to the Winnipeg Jets for future considerations. So they traded away a bunch of draft picks. They got players and they got future considerations. So basically, Columbus is all in. Columbus is all in. They are going for the gold. They are Stanley Cup or bust this year because this year, like listen to their draft picks. Okay, this year they have a third round pick and a seventh round pick. Next year, they have a first, a fourth, a fifth, a sixth, and a seventh. So they're missing their second and their third. And then 2021, it gets a lot better. They're only missing a second round pick. So, yeah. <laughs> That's something. And um, 
you have to, right? You have to commend them, right? Like they like the the odds of them keeping Breadman and Bobrovsky, right? Like minimal, very minimal, mostly minimal, non-existent, right? So it's like you know what, screw it, let's just go for it. And it's I don't know who. This is all a race to who gets to have their 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 bodies blown into a different dimension by Tampa. Right. Right. Like this, like this is all just, everybody is doing their best to try and batten down the hatches for what they hope could be some sort of attempt to beat Tampa freaking Bay. Um, so I, I don't know. It, again, it, in, in that regard, it's like kind of just like golf clapping, whatever. All right. Good job, everybody. You, you did, you did your best. <laughs> It's kind of it's kind of it's kind of a foregone conclusion right now, but uh, you know we like the effort. A lot of lot of hustle out there, but there's there's nothing that nothing could, <laughs> nothing that can be done. Um, going going by some of the other trades that happened, um, I really like Simmons in Nashville. I like that trade. Um, the the nice part is um, you know I, th- I think I think Simmons is just a, a, under the radar. I think one of the very solid players in the league and him, him to get on Nashville, which again has always been an anomaly team, even when they've been very good for, at least in my perspective, just Nashville's always been this really like, like, Ooh, they're really good. And then they just like, nobody talks about them and then they're really good. And then nobody talks about them. So they're, they're obviously in the, in, in the midst of their most competitive era. Right. Like in just in their existence since they won't what 20, 25 years. Is that the 20 years? That's the, uh, however, they're, they're, they're still pretty much a freshman franchise. So for them to be experiencing a lot of competition and and, in their very young years is, is, is very good, very good for them. So I I like Simmons going there. Um, Hey, what about those golden Knights, Pete? (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say that's uh that's the other one that I, I definitely had on my list of, of ones that we needed to talk about because uh, the Vegas Golden Knights acquired Mark Stone. And then caged with- him up. For- yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so basically, if you haven't seen this, um, when he arrived at the Vegas airport, he was greeted by not only Vegas showgirls, but also um, their their mascots and I think two of the the uh, the drummers, right? Like the yep. electric light orchestra drummers or whatever yep. they they're called. Yep, the Jefflins. Um, yeah, yeah, and uh, that was just that that was pretty amazing. Uh, and then they immediately brought him into a room to sign a contract. So, uh, <laughs> you know, like, like like he was trying to get through security, and they're like, "Oh, I'm sorry, we need to do a secondary check." And they brought him in there, and they had the <laughs> the paperwork already, and they said, "We're not letting you letting you leave this room until you sign." And um, but yeah, so he signed a uh, he signed a, a a a deal for nine nine point five million, which is pretty good considering how good he is. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, it's it's really good considering. I mean, that's a that's a pretty pretty good pretty good deal. I I also thought it was funny because they because he had to fly in from from Ottawa, the, he thought he was just signing his customs papers. In fact, he was signing his his extension. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um okay, so Pete so he um so he gets traded and then he like immediately is extended. Red Wings traded Nick Jensen and he was immediately extended like within an hour of, of, of getting traded. Here's my question to you, Pete. Yeah. 
are those lockout driven decisions would like, do you think those, those guys are, do you think the teams are like kind of signing these guys to some, like, again, I don't really have too much information to back up this guess, but just in the back of my head, I was like, wow, guys are like locking themselves up in the event that, you know, maybe if this impending lockout is or isn't a thing, right? Like they'll have protection. Is that, is that nothing? Okay. No. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> okay moving on um going on to uh going on to some of the other tri- i know I, I, I again for all my listeners i apologize for my non-knowledge on the subject i just anything that's anything that looks weird with this league that like i've never really seen before i immediately think it has lockout implications where it's like oh yeah the this one team l- completely signed all of their free agents on the exact same day and i'll automatically think it's got to be a lockout thing it's no, I mean, it, I, I, I mean, basically, like what you're looking for is you're looking for the structure of the deal. Yeah. So, for example, if there is a lockout, then the players won't be paid their salary, right? But they will be paid signing bonuses. Uh, so if you see these structures where 95% of their money for each year is paid in a signing bonus as opposed to the rest of their salary, that is lockout protection. Or okay. if you see where it is structured so that in the year that people are anticipating there being a lockout, their actual pay is drastically lower than the rest of their years, that would be something that like lockout protection. Um, but something like this is just they just wanted to get the deal done. Um, you know, I, I mean, there's there's nothing more to it than that, I don't think. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm I I will readily buy into that. Like I said, I, <laughs> any any anything that again, since this league has just played games with my heart for so long, for so long, <laughs> any, any anytime something weird happens, I always I always draw up my conspiracy machine, which, as we've just seen, needs some tweaking because conspiracy theories have to have some semblance of understanding and or possibility, not just flat out wrong stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So thank you to Peter for correcting my uh, uh, conspiracy theories on on that front. Um, uh, I mean, I mean, don't worry. I'm pretty sure that in uh, if you go back and listen to every episode, uh, you're going to have us both being wrong probably about the same number of times about different things. <laughs> um, oh, I, I just wanted to point out a couple like uh, before before we move on to one quick thing before we wrap up, I wanted to point out a couple uh, quick things. Um, that I thought were really interesting. So the Florida Panthers and the Carolina hurricanes had a, I guess you could call it a trade, but this is really interesting. All right. So there were two separate transactions. The Carolina hurricanes sent prospect cliff Pooh to the Florida Panthers in exchange for future considerations. So why did they make this as two separate transactions and not just trade one player for the other? I mean, I guess, you could, I, I don't know. I guess this you way it's kind of answer, open. Right? Yeah, already, exactly. Well, well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it definitely obviously is lockout protection because uh, <laughs> they're like, our future consideration is will we have a lockout? Um, <laughs> I'm glad you figured that out. I, I like when you can just yeah automatically say the thing that I knew I was going <laughs> so to So I thought that was really funny. And then also, um, I can't, I can't uh, wrap this up without talking about uh, JJ's fantastic joke. Uh, where 
Montreal acquired Jordan Wheel from the Arizona Coyotes in exchange for Michael. I I don't know if it's Chapa or Chaput. I I don't know exactly how to pronounce that. Um, and <laughs> JJ tweeted something about how this is the wheel deal. And um, <laughs> oh my god, that was so funny. Uh, but um, yeah, I, actually, um, we'll hear, hear yeah again before we wrap up. I know we said this. Uh, you know, rounding out some of the other big big trades, uh, the Sabers acquired acquired Brandon Montour. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if that plays out the way that they hope it will. Uh, Montour did not do as well as people thought he would with the Ducks, but maybe a change of scenery is going to help there. Uh, the San Jose Sharks acquired Red Wing uh, former Red Wing Gustav Nyquist in exchange for a second round pick and a conditional third round pick. Uh, Nyquist is already slotted in next to Joe Thornton. And early returns look like that's that's going to definitely be a good trade for Saint, uh, San Jose. I think it's probably going to end up being a good trade both ways, but we'll have to see. Um, Winnipeg acquired Kevin Hayes from the Rangers. Kevin Hayes is one of those players who I think he's pretty underrated you know, throughout the league for most fan bases. Uh, most fan bases don't really care as much or you know, don't really consider him as good as I think he actually is. Um, although I think, I, I do think it was an overpay to, to trade for him, yep. um, which is not surprising. That's, that's kind of how this works. <laughs> um, and then, uh, rounding it out. And, and like I said, obviously we're not going to get all the trades, but one, th- one, one of the ones I thought was really interesting is, uh, the San Jose Sharks sending, uh, Linus Carlson to the Vancouver Canucks in exchange for Jonathan Dahlin. And this is going to be a really interesting one because, a lot of people that I've se- I've seen seem to think that the Canucks gave up on Dahlin uh, too early, and that this could be one where the uh, where the Sharks end up buying low and getting a really good player out of the deal. As always, we'll have to see. Yeah, and I think the uh, my, my last uh, my last trade uh, nugget, um, and I'm sure everybody already saw this, and I'm actually kind of heartbroken about this, especially given his departure, but. Uh, Matsucarello made his presence felt and then immediately couldn't anymore because <laughs> in his first game he was injured and he's already out for like a month. So yeah. that was that was a trade that um, I don't know. I, Pete does does that um, does that sound like a Hall of Fame uh, immediate both in immediate impact and then immediate absence? <laughs> it was pretty <laughs> like, bad. It was, yeah. it was it was it was like in the uh, in the bad luck Hall of Fame. It's definitely up there. I think I think that's oh. the first ballot one. Yep. Uh, yep. It was it was pretty pretty terrible. I, I felt really bad for the player and for the team because you know imagine kind of like what we said before. Imagine whatever team you are a fan of made it, made that trade. Like how much would that suck? Yeah, Pete. I might look at that happening and say that that's flipping hogwash. <laughs> I, I wanted to say the other stuff. Believe me, I wanted to. But, you know, the Dallas owners don't get any favors from me. So there you go. There you go. All right. So um, we're going to wrap up in just a minute. But uh, before we do, we definitely wanted to make sure that we talked uh, a little follow up about uh, last episode's. Uh, I think it was the closing segment or it was, it was near the end where we talked about the storm surge for the Carolina hurricanes um, in between. And we had, we, we had already kind of referenced this before um, Don Cherry. Uh, well, actually last time we talked about Don Cherry making uh, these remarks, but the Carolina hurricanes have made t-shirts that say bunch of jerks and they've been wearing them and selling them 
etc which is fantastic and then uh as we record this last night so that would be friday night uh they had what probably was their most elaborate one yet where they invited evander holyfield onto the ice and he boxed uh, with Jordan Martinuk, who was quote unquote knocked out, and then the players dragged him off of the, off of the ice. Uh, if you haven't seen that again, you need to seek that out. That is that that one was really funny. Uh, I mean, they're all fantastic, but that one was probably the number one, the most elaborate, but probably, in my opinion, the best one so far. I I have to agree. It is uh, really funny how. Um... Uh, everything, everything that has been said about the Hurricanes has only made them stronger. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm, I'm very excited about what could happen next. Um, I, I know everybody's already talking about that. The, the thing that the universe craves now is that the Carolina uh, Hurricanes winning the Stanley Cup on home ice, which. I know we were already joking about playoffs, about what would happen if they collapse, you know, them clapping a team off the ice after winning a playoff round, but. You know, just 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 imagining what the heck they could possibly do for the for a cup win would just I, I don't know. None of us are prepared. I don't think anybody any of us will actually want to be prepared because to do so would to rob you of probably one of the more genuine sporting experiences ever to yeah to happen. But here's I have a small question, Pete. Um, how how much of this do you think they're thinking up in advance? And because obviously no home win is assured, right? right? No ever win is ever assured in this league. That's 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 commonplace. So my question is: so do they have like? I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm just curious, like in terms of like what their internal schedule is, could be because I, again, to bring out Evander Holyfield, like did they say like, hey, we have a home stretch coming up? Can you be on call <laughs> for whenever we win that we will just bring you right down? Or like, hey, since you're in town for a couple of days, you know, we'll have you out to the arena the entire, you know, for this, whatever, this little mini three-game homestand or whatnot. And then should they win, we'll slot you in here. But like, if that's going to be the case where they're going to start bringing in more personalities and more famous stuff, I, I, I'm honestly curious as to how they're even scheduling any of this, right? So Yeah, I, I have no idea. Um, yeah, uh, all I know is that it was fantastic and it was um, probably the best thing to happen in hockey since Gritty went streaking. Yes, yes. I think I think Gritty's tweet asking when the ESPN body issue was was the best follow-up to, to him streaking the other day because if Gritty's not in the body issue, we've already screwed up. <laughs> we've already really screwed up. Yeah. All right. So that brings us to the end of another episode. Uh, if you want to follow us on social media, um, I'm going to lead off this time with our new Facebook page. All right. So it's facebook.com, hey! facebook.com slash for sure pod. That's F E R S U R E P O D. It's funny. Like I, I keep wanting to say F E R S H U R. It's because it's because we're all phonetically bound uh, English professors, so yep. that's that's what we do. So, uh, so you can follow. You know, you can you can uh, join that Facebook page. Um, also, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at P Flynn Hockey. You can follow Jay at the Roar underscore twenty four. You can follow the podcast at two hundred foot pod. That's two zero zero F T P O D. You can follow uh, our guest Daniel Carcillo at Car Bomb Boom. 13 uh, on Twitter. 
And I, I know he's on other social media. I'm, I'm guessing it's, it's easy to find. I mean, it's usually easy to find somebody like that. If you just Google it, um, it's probably some either that handle or some variation of it, um, which is, should be easy to find. So, yes, um, yeah, so, so that's another episode and, uh, we will be back at you in two weeks, uh, with episode 44. For Tuesday episode coming up. Oh yeah. For sure. 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 For sure.